0: chapter 9 verse 4 says anyone who is among the living hello anybody here living you might have uh, bumped someone during halftime and oh yeah I'm living anyone who is among the living has hope even a live dog is better off than a dead lion now that sounds like common sense but I want to remind you today you might have had a rough week but you have placed yourself in the place to have a new week that's going to be better than last week we're going to hear some things this morning out of the Word of God, and I, I, I'm, I'm trusting the Word of God to bring life to us. So if you have your pens and paper out, pen and papers, pen and paper, whatever you have, take it out and begin to write down some notes that you can recall later. I don't know about you, but a short pencil is better than a long memory. <laughs> yeah. Now this morning when we talk about as long as you are breathing, you have the ability to be successful What we're talking about is in all areas of your life, in your health, in your physical. You know, there's something about somebody that's successful being in their physical being. You know, they're not always torn up physically and their health is bad. But holistically, everything about them, God is blessing, prospering. Also socially, you know as well as me, you like to be around somebody that has a clue socially. You don't want somebody that doesn't have a clue. You know what I mean? That you, you like somebody that is successful in their relationships. But this morning also in our spirituality, that, that is the key of learning the wisdom of God in our life to live life better. How many's up for a little life better than you have right now? Yeah. So well, God is doing great. Th- I want even better. God has better things yeah. in my horizon than even right now. My best days are yet to come. Now let me tell you, I tell myself that when I get out of bed in the morning and I go, oh, what was that? Anybody with me? Everybody over here in this young section go, no. (laughs) It's a coming. It's a coming. But we say our better days are ahead of us. We can claim that. We can walk by faith in every area of our life. Now this morning as we're continuing on the series of David and his life, we talked about David the winner the first week and how powerful he was and, and just some of the things that he thought different than a lot of people that we are around today that are not believers but also that are believers. Today as a believer that we ought to have these forms of thinking, that we're people that think by faith. We don't just think of all the negative consequences and walk by fear, but the reward of the faith. When you think about David, and we talked about this, that, that he was faithful, and he was forceful thinker, that even all the criticism that he pushed through that, he was a four-dimensional thinker. He, he knew that there was a spiritual realm, that God had made a covenant with his people, and that meant him, and that he could overcome this person that was not a part of the covenant, Goliath, and defeat him, even though other people that were right there, other soldiers, couldn't think that far. He was a four-dimensional thinker like you and I are. I also love the thought that when we brought out he was a fresh thinker. He looked at things different. We know that when he was younger, that he killed a bear and a lion when he was a shepherd with a, probably a knife. It says that he grabbed him and, and killed the lion and the bear when, when it came against his sheep. But, but you don't really ever hear of David using a slingshot except in the story of David and Goliath. Later it says that women sang his praises, he killed uh, tens of thousands, Were Saul killed thousands. We don't see him out there with a the slingshot killing tens of thousands of people. He would have had to really get it going, wouldn't he? But he probably used his sword then. But he was a fresh thinker. He comes on the battlefield and he begins to see things as, as a solution versus just the problem. In the weeks that followed that, this is going to be our fourth week, we, we saw that um, the story of him being patient in the place that he was in. Even though he was anointed king as a young man, he didn't go from the pasture to the palace. He went trying on crowns. But he even went in service under the king, Saul, that he was put under. Even though King Saul really went mad and began to chase him, David refused to put a hand on him, to kill him. He submitted to the authority even though that he felt like he was in the wrong. Very important for us to understand in our dealings with people that we live with, that we are uh, in a job with, a profession. Sometimes we want to get them, don't we? But that's not what God has for us as believers. Last week we talked about overcoming emotions, especially the anger that all of us, you know, even easygoing people, Your, your anger might even happen on the inside where you can put a smile on you. Come on now. Let's be honest. Overcoming the emotions that try to put us in motion and put us out of the will of God just because someone did something to us. We talked about Nabal and Abigail and how Abigail came on the scene as a very intelligent, good-looking. She had a good form, huh? Come on. And here she comes on the scene and she speaks wisdom in David's life and because of the anger that was burning, it cooled down and he did not make a mistake. David's life gives us an example of wisdom that applies in our life. Well, today we're going to be talking about a subject that sometimes you think it's just on the area of spirituality. And depending on where you are in your Christian walk with God, sometimes we underplay this as, well, this is just for those that set up front. Or those are the people that, you know, they, they, they go to church every Sunday. That's not, no, no, no. Right here is a lesson today that will really be woven all the way through the fabric of your life, and it'll change your life if you allow it, and it's the subject of worship. And today we're going to be talking about David the worshiper, and again, this is the fourth week of this series. And when you think about David, if I would ask you to write one story down in the Bible, just kind of a title, how would you describe David? See, some people would code to the fact that he was a giant killer. You know, Goliath, that story. Some might even talk about Bathsheba, and we'll get to that in weeks to come. Some of us might even say the anointing over David's life by Samuel as a young man, a, on the pasture, and all the things that went on there. But isn't it kind of interesting to go back and find out how God would have described David? Now, let's fast forward from David's life all the way to the New Testament in the book of Acts. And I want you to just hear this. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. This is in the New Testament, and this is how the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, describes David. Now, watch this. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. Listen to how he testified about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now, now when you think about that, that, wasn't that an amazing epitaph of David? God could have uh, put down on paper like the Bible, he could have described him as a, as a faithful shepherd. And that's a good, good category. You could agree, what's word I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You, you could say that he was, you could put down to uh, describe David as a powerful king. But what David is described at in the Bible by God Almighty is that he was a man that cared about the things that God cared about. Now I want you to think about that because that's so important for today's message. David was a man that cared about the things that God cared about. This morning, I want you to see this story as something that applies to your life. And again, some of you need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life and and kind of customize this message for you. What is going to be a takeaway this morning? The story goes like this. David has now become king over Israel in this sixth chapter of 2 Samuel. And the Bible says that he begins to think, and a lot of times, if you'll study David's life, is he's he's meditating, or he's sitting around praying, and he comes up with this idea. And God begins to just work on David, and David says, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to my new palace, Jerusalem, my new capital city, where my palace is. I want to, I want to put that Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, because the people of Israel, all during the wilderness experience, before they possess the land, would have the presence of God, as God gave them just descriptive, just detailed down to the little piece of how that Ark was going to be built. It's pretty amazing. I'll describe it in a minute. But what I want you to know is as David begins to get this desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God to Jerusalem, I want you to realize that his predecessor was Saul, and Saul had kind of neglected the things of God, and at the same time, the worship of God had been neglected, and the spirituality of the country had grown cold. See, the presence of God in the Old Testament is different than you and I after Calvary, after the cross. The presence of God dwelt in what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is a pretty cool, because how many people seen the Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> Someone said, did he say the Ark of the Covenant with Indiana Jones? Yeah, that. Everybody goes, oh, I didn't know it was that spiritual. Yes, I did. I watched that movie. The ark itself means a box or a chest. It's made of wood. It was rectangle. It was overlaid in gold. It had a crate that laid on top that was called the mercy seat. And inside the ark of the covenant was three things that we know of. It was the, a golden jar of manna that was presented, the food for the people out in the wilderness. Now remember, they had to gather it every day. It's amazing. Nobody really knows what manna was, but it was provision from God. And every day they had to gather enough just for them that day. If they gathered more than one day provision, you know what I mean? A little bit, you know, I'll just gather because I'm going to be a little tired tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next. So I'm going to gather all this and I'm good for the whole week. The Bible says that that amount after that day would go bad and it would begin to spoil and they couldn't eat it. Every day they had to gather afresh. Just like we do in worship. Every day afresh it a freshness that needs to come into our life. Also in the, the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that had budded. Also there was a, the tablets of stone that was placed in the Ark of the Covenant and it was, it was mobile. They carried it all through the wilderness wherever they went. Again, representing the presence of God. So here is David and he has this desire. Here he is in his palace and he says, you know what? I want to bring up the presence of God to my house. And the story goes is he gathers Israel to the rate of 30,000 choice men and they begin to have a celebration. Now watch this. It says that they begin the procession all the way from where it was in a, in a a man's house named Abinadab and they begin to have this kind of parade. Now I don't know what kind of parade, if they were going, you know... When the spirit of the Lord moves, on. You know, I don't know what Jewish—that's my only Jewish song that I know besides Jehovah Jireh. I don't know, but they were singing, and it says they were using all these instruments, these tambourines, and and uh, let, let me just say this: it, it was. Let me just read this. They were singing and celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs with harps, lyres, tambourines, cisterns, and cymbals. So you can see this big parade, and they're moving the Ark of the Covenant, but they decide to get a a brand new cart. And put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and so all around is these 30,000 people, and they're singing, and they're... I don't know what they're doing, but they're celebrating. Work with me. There it is. Were you guys there? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, we have fun, don't we? <laughs> you threw me off, where am I at? <laughs> okay, wait well, just a minute. That's not there. That's not there. Okay. So, so the story is that they get this, the ark on the the cart, and and I want you to see something. David has good intentions. He wants to move where the ark of the covenant is to his house. He has good intentions. He says, You know what? Let's get a couple good old boys that have some, you know, a pickup truck, and let's go down there and get it. Bring it on up. That's all we. And the Bible says that as they're moving the ark of the covenant in the cart, it gets to this certain place. And the wagon, you know, kind of goes through a chuck hole or something. The oxen stumble. And the, the Ark of the Covenant seems like it's going to fall off. And the guy that's walking next to it reaches up to kind of steady it. And he touches the Ark of the Covenant. And the anger of God burns against him. And boom, he falls dead. Now, come on. When you read this story, you're going, dude, what? What What happened? David has good intentions of bringing the Ark of the Covenant and he he uses a a cart and a man tries his best to make sure it doesn't bend or, you know, break in two. So he, he just puts his hand up to steady it. But he gets a lot more than he bargained for. He's just trying to be obedient. David's trying to do what's right. But I want you to see something here. It says that David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, the guy that touched it. And he said, how in the world can I ever get it up to my house? And he leaves the Ark of the Covenant right in that area in a man's house called Obed-Edom. So he just parks it there. The 30,000 people are kind of like, and they all go back to their house. And David's scratching his head and he's mad. And he, you know, God, what are you doing? Now we just met, isn't it? Kind of, we got the cart before the horse. Excuse the pun. God is angry because of something that just happened. And it says that David gets mad. There's some time passes. And, and let me tell you, David is a worshiper. Meaning to do right. He wants the presence of God in his house. But it just hasn't gone like he thought. So then some time passes and the word comes to David. David. (laughs) You know where you left the Ark of the Covenant down there at Obed-Edom's house? That dude is prospering. I mean, he is getting blessed. Everything that he does... Seems to just light up. I mean, it seems like he's got the Midas touch. And David begins to think about it. And all of a sudden he says, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. But there's something that happens between the time that he goes to get it the second time and the time that he left it there. Saying, who can ever get the presence of God in their house? And here's what happened. If you go to parallel verse to 1 Chronicles, you begin to read what happened. Someone in his council began to talk to him and said, you moved it the wrong way, David. See, the Ark of the Covenant was gold inlaid. It had the cherubim, the angels that were on top of it. And it was just beautiful. But it also had four ringlets in little circles that hung off the corners and they were there for a reason. And the reason was when they moved the Ark of the Covenant they had to have a pole that went through those ringlets and they had to be carried by the priests, the Levites on their shoulders. That's why Uzzah died because he touched something that was holy but also because you were moving it on a card with a card. The Bible says that David goes down and again, he does it right this time. He gets the Ark of the Covenant, he gets the poles and he puts them through the ringlets and the Levites are there and they begin to do the parade again to Jerusalem. Even to the point, listen, that every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, I got a little six, baby step. Every six steps, They would stop the procession and have a sacrifice before God. Six steps. David is singing, he's dancing before the Lord. And the Bible says that when he gets into Jerusalem he begins to, to do things as it was instructed him to do and he didn't just presume on God that he could transport he could worship any way that he wanted to but that he did it the right way that God had described in his word. Now and there's, there's a truth that I'm going to give to you. You know the difference between a precept and a principle? A precept is the speed limit is 35. That goes at 6 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you are if the sign says 35. That's a precept. A principle is drive careful. That, that's different if you're downtown Fort Worth in the middle of a rainstorm versus in the middle of New Mexico where you can't see a tree. You know what I'm talking about? That's a principle. See, he was taking it like some of us about worship. Ah, just do anything you want. You come to church or you get in your quiet time and you just, hey, we're all different. David was trying to do things right. But really, when you think about it, he was thinking, I'm going to bring the presence of God up here and, you know... Who cares how we do it? Let's just go get it. Just like maybe Anna and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. How they presume that they could do anything that they would want. Just it's no big deal. God will understand. But there's, there's wisdom in how to read the instructions. And I know for the United States, and especially Texans, that's kind of hard for us. Oh, we'll figure it out on the fly. For men, if you've ever put together a Christmas present on Christmas Eve, you know that you don't need the instructions. (laughs) Until you're so tired and you can't figure out where that last tire goes. You know what I mean? And what I'm trying to say this morning is in the middle of this whole scene of David wanting to worship, he realized there's some principles behind the poles and the ringlets that we can learn. Now now watch this. There's a big message here behind the poles and the ringlets that are going to matter to us. And here it is. We don't want to go to the trouble of hearing the way that God wants us to worship Him. Sometimes it might be something that's a little bit more than what we think our personalities like. You know, Pastor, I'm quiet. Pastor, you know that I'm kind of a John Wayne kind of guy and I don't lift my hands in front of many people. Clapping, you know, I, I just don't get into that. Raising my hands, clapping. I want you to know that David got to the place in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, where it says, David wearing a linen ephod, which is like a gown. It's like a, uh, a toga, kind of. I don't know. Dance before the Lord with all his might, while he and his entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Now, now, I want you to see some lessons that we can learn from the ox cart mindset. If we're not careful, we'll fall into the same problem. And here's what it is. God does not like shortcuts when it comes to His relationship with us. See, David began to justify his anger, his frustration... God, why don't I feel your presence? Why can't I bring your presence to my house? God, I want to worship you the way that I want to worship you. If you remember, even Cain in the situation in Genesis where he says, I'm going to bring you my own sacrifice, what I want to bring. God says, that's not it. That's not what I'm asking of you. Matter of fact, he said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but if you do what's right... He can't have you. So many times we take shortcuts because we think it doesn't matter, but I, I think that for a lot of us, when we know the reason why we worship, all of a sudden it begins to clear up a lot of that. No, no, stick with me here. We talked about the, the manna and how they had to gather it every day for a fresh um, indwelling or they had to eat. They wanted it fresh. Every day they had to gather it. I want you to see this because what we're talking about is chapter 6. But for a minute, I want us to go to chapter 5. This is before the whole story of David going to get the ark. And it'll change your life. It changed my mind of what I was going to preach this morning, that I've had this message for a couple of weeks, and God said, I want you to preach this. I began to read chapter 5, and I began to go, oh my, that's a lot better than what I had. See, David has been chased by Saul. He's, He's been up when he killed Goliath and then he's been down when he's been chased by Saul and he's living in pit after pit after cave and he's got all these people that are really just ruffians that are around him sometimes wanting to kill him, his own men. He's been in the high places and the low places and in chapter 5, all of a sudden, all that begins to change. Listen to what happens. Everybody with me? Listen to this. In chapter 5... The elders of Jerusalem, or the elders of Israel come and say, We want you to be king over us. Up to this point, he was just king over Judah, just a small portion, but now he's the king over all of Israel. He's only 30, 30 years old. The Bible says that he decides he's going to take Jerusalem, even though the people from Jerusalem have taunted people that says we're unconquerable, and they were to that point. Even to the point that Joshua really never took hold of Jerusalem because it was so such a high fortress. That's why we sing songs of Jerusalem being a fortress and a you know on a hill and the Zion you know and all the songs that we sing about it. But David sets his heart to. Conquering Jerusalem. And he does it. I mean to beat the band. Him and a group of men go up there. And they conquer Jerusalem. And he decides this is going to be my palace. This is going to be the capital. The Bible says that. The Philistines. Purpose to knock him off. So they come out against him. And and they have come out before. And every time David has been successful against them. But this time. This time. In one really deciding battle to this point, David conquers them and chases them for 30 miles. They didn't have cars, james, tanks. They were running after the enemy and conquered them up to 30 miles. They subdued them. So you hear all that story and you come to this chapter 6 and it says, David says, I want the presence of God in my house. And I begin to pray about that. What what would cause him to do it at this time? Here he has built a palace on the wealth of conquered enemies that other people were fearful about. He's sitting in his palace, and I believe this is is John Miller praying and reading this over and over. I think he's thankful. I think he sits there and he's thinking, I'm a young man and God has given me all this. I want to worship my God. And when you read it, you begin to see that David is humbled by God's provision in his life to this point. Matter of fact, later in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. See, a lot of us are saying, no, I will do it my way. And we're wondering why there's no promotion. There's, there's no provision. He wants the presence of God at his house. He wants to build God a house. He wants to build God a temple. Now, this morning, some of you know that David wants to build the temple of God. But what I'm talking about is, do you know that every time that we worship God, that we're again and again and again and again and again, realizing that the temple of God is right here? We are the temple of God. And every time that we worship God, that we are, again, building a house for God's presence. How do I know that? It says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And what we've taught you here several years now is every time that we praise God and we're he inhabits the praises that we are giving Him in the worship. And we're saying, God, we're thankful, we're thankful. We, we enter His courts with... Say it again. With thanksgiving. Say it again. With... With thanksgiving in His courts with praise. That, that's how it begins. When we get here in the morning, I can't believe the kids couldn't get here earlier than that. I can't believe that my wife would... do. And we get all... And we get in here, and the worship begins, and we go. (sighs) When's the worship going to be over? (laughs) Or or we might even think, you know what? It takes me a few to get kind of warmed up. Do do you realize that when you get out of the bed in the morning, the first words? And let me tell you, I'm not talking about fantasy, because I live your life too. I mean, I'm there. When you get up in the morning, you ought to prepare to say, God, thank you for another day. Some of you are going, yeah, I'm old enough to know all that. Is. No, I'm serious. Some of you need to put a piece of paper in front of your alarm clock in the morning that says, thank God right now, Joker. You know, okay. <laughs> Because as soon as we get up, we're going, I can't do that. I've got to do that this morning. Why is that today? Well, I've got to meet that person. God, thank you. Can, can, I, can I talk? Can, can I have a little surgery just for a few seconds? It won't hurt too bad. But for some of us that have a problem being thankful, you know what you need to do is fast. Now, you know, biblical fasting is is food. We know that. I'm not trying to take that away. That's true. But let's fast. You, some of us need to fast our cars. You walk to work tomorrow, and I'll guarantee it. Tomorrow, the next morning, you'll be thank you God for my car. My dogs are hurting. You know your your wife and your husband's a problem to you. You know they're a problem. why? Because they're people. We're all people. We know there's if you live with someone, there's a hundred percent chance of conflict. Just get over it. If you don't have any training on conflict resolution, that's where you need to be looking in the Word of God for. Because you're going to have it. But if you would realize, what would you do tomorrow if your husband wasn't there, your wife, would? you know, after the joking, well, oh, I'd have a great day, you know, all that joking goes on, then, then boil it down. I sure do love him. I sure love her. Just begin to fast. There's nothing on TV to be thankful for. Well, they turn it off and throw it outside for a couple months, and well, you know, I'm just glad anything's on. You didn't grow up. How many people grew up where there was about four channels? Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, well, here we go. I didn't have shoes, and I walked up to school, didn't. <laughs> Now think about this, As I, I, I want you to get in an attitude of worship this morning. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to have Lisa come back up, and we're going to bring up that, I mean, beautiful ladies up here that are worshiping God, those guys that can play the instruments. Let me t- we're, we're going to enter in. We're going to enter in, being thankful. God, thank you. You know, I, I thought about this morning, what if, what if I had just like a little stool? I don't even know if we have that stool in. Here, here's a good example. Next week, we're going to throw away all those comfortable chairs that you're sitting in and everybody's going to get one of them babies right there. God, thank you for these chairs. I didn't have to pay for them. And I tell you, next summer, we're just going to fast the air condition all summer. We're going to, no, I know we have windows, but them jokers are going to be sealed up. God, thank you for air conditioning. We're going to turn off all the lights and have one little candle up here, and I'm going to preach. God, thank you for that, the lights. If David wanted to be selfish, he could have stopped right after he had seen all that provision and started saying, Look what I've done. Look what I've done. And probably had some of those ladies that sung about him killing. Let's bring out the David quartet again. I like that. Oh, David, he sung. But see, he realizes that where he's at, that he didn't put himself there. God's provision had made everything that he had rejoiced in. He says, God, i got to have your presence. See, see, we're talking about a time that's so much different that we have the privilege of having the presence of God with us. We don't have to have the Ark of the Covenant with us. And David begins to see it a whole different way. And he becomes humble. And I want you to hear this. He realizes something that people in churches today still haven't got. That when we worship. Hello. When we worship, it's not just for us, but it's for God. We're building a temple, a house for Him to live in in our house. We're saying, God, inhabit the praises of John Miller. Inhabit the praises of your people. So when we come in, I don't know about you, but see, I, I sit on the front row. I try to not mess up the people on the stage because I'm singing love and come on, God, I need you. And every time that He inhabits my presence or my praises, when I'm praising God, I get a manifestation of the greatness of God in my life, being thankful. God, I can't imagine where I'm at right now. I couldn't even imagine. God, all the, the relationships that are in my life, all the. All the possessions, all those possessions won't be here in a hundred years. Either will I be. But God, thank you for those providing for when I'm here in the, in the land of the living, while I'm breathing. I got hope. Because God, God listen, I, I want to practice for eternity that I'm going to be praising you. Now watch this. This morning... Some of you have maybe heard this for the first time and you're saying, I really never have gone to church and I never really felt the presence of God in my life. You might just not have known that you've been doing it in your own way. I'm going to have Lisa and the team come up and I want her to read Psalms 100. And as she reads this, this is one way that the Holy Spirit, through the psalmist, began to say, this is what I want you to do. Shout, be glad, be thankful. You know, sometimes we do get in an intimate time with God and we're worshiping and that, that's good. But there's some times that we need to shout for joy. Did, did anybody see me? Yeah, Michael right up in, the, up in the upper room that looked down on David and go, you look a fool out there. When he was dancing, did you know that? His wife said that about him. And you know what David said? You think I'm a fool. I haven't even started to be a fool yet. I'm going to do it more and more for the glory of my God. Now again, as we worship, what you're doing is you're allowing God to be God in your life. This morning, would you just stand with me? Allow God... To be God in your life as we worship. Amen. Psalms 100 says, Shout for joy.